Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech beat writer for the Roanoke Times, football beat writer. I'm Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Andy, you're you're sounding good. You're looking good. You don't look sick. You don't sound sick. Uh, on the other hand, I have my own issues now. What are those? Uh, Tell us about those. Uh, you, you told me about it beforehand, but it's such an entertaining story that I think the listeners deserve to hear it. Well, Mike, go forth. If you happen to be listening, maybe you can email me a diagnosis. I basically can't walk. Uh, it was a real hold your hold hold my beer moment, uh, as they say on the internet. Uh, I was my neighbors built a, uh, a zip line for their kids, and my kids were over there playing on it, and it looked a lot of like a lot of fun. And the guy says. Oh, it can hold up to 400 pounds. Why don't you go give it a shot? So I said, okay. Hold As on. one does. And so I went, and you know, there's a, there's a mechanism at the end that allows you to slow down and stop before you get to the tree at the end. Um, unfortunately, when you're my size, roughly the size of Seth Dooley, who we'll get to in this podcast later, um, you you kind of break through that momentum, the momentum stopper. And uh, you should have seen my, my legs flew up. I hit the tree. My legs flew up and hit the branch that the thing was dangling from. So now I can't walk. This is what happens. You turn 40 and all of a sudden your body just falls apart. Yeah. Due like, to zipline related injuries. I, I, you know what? It's it's crazy. It, it is. I did think about that, you know, because I did turn 40 over the weekend, and I'm like, is this really what happens? Like, you just start, like, things that uh, used to be okay. I don't know if that can necessarily be related to turning 40. I feel like if you would have been 39 and been in that exact same situation, that the physics of the situation would have just taken over, and you still would have hit the tree at the same velocity, at the same angle, with the same sort of impact on your leg. Probably, but... Any notion that I was going to be wiser after turning 40 has been dispelled. Uh, I'm not any wiser than I once was, so here we go. Um, we got That's a, not going to affect your Atlantic City trip coming up here, is it? It better not. I'm telling you, it better not. I've been looking forward to this one. This for, is one um, for the ages coming up here, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going hard. I'm going hard after them. This is a, I'm, I'm trying to plunder. I really am. So if you take AC for all it's worth, this could be the last we hear of you on the podcast. You're like, I'm done with this. I'm a professional gambler now. I'm moving yeah. on to the next realm of life. Yeah, I'll tweet the final score and say that's the last. You know, I'm kind of have one of those sappy goodbye columns. I'll just be like, here's the final score. I See won you, two suckers. million, and I'll talk to you. I've been watching all the all the great gambling movies of yesteryear. Let it ride, uh, which is a great horse racing movie. Um, uh, owning Mahoney, which is a Philip Seymour Hoffman film. I never saw that one. Uh, it's kind of depressing. It's not as good as Let It Ride. The, the Cooler. Have you ever seen The Cooler? I have seen The Cooler. That has a fun. Do you watch ending. Rounders? Uh, I've watched Rounders. I, I have not watched it recently, but uh, you should. That's a you know another sort of good one if you're preeminent a poker game for the the modern era here or movie. Underrated one, Mississippi Grind with Ryan Reynolds. I really like that movie. I don't think most people do, but I thought it was really good. I've never heard of that movie until you brought it up. Really good. Really good. Give it a shot. Okay, let's get to the Hokies here. Uh, a brief outline of what we're going to get into here. We're going to talk about Frank and the selection committee. We're going to talk about the guys who left. We're going to talk about the guys who have come. Um, a lot of transactions over the last uh, week or so since we last met. Uh, we're going to talk about what the national outlets are saying about next year's team. We're going to talk about the spring dates they've been released and also – 
want to get into Antonio Brown a little bit and maybe put a hokey spin on it just just uh, for fun at the end. Now, Andy, big news yesterday. Frank Beamer was named to the selection committee. Uh, did that take you off guard when you heard that? Not entirely. Uh, I mean, I think I'd heard rumblings that he might be a possible candidate for it before. I didn't know how serious he was about it. I think he talked to David Teal uh, around Thanksgiving and said, yeah, I'd be an honor to be part of that. Uh, obviously, it's a pretty select group. There's only 13 people on the, the committee. Five of them are football coaches. So uh, you look at the guys that are departing, Barry Alvarez, Lloyd Carr, who Frank is, is friends with. I'm sure that Lloyd put in a good word for Frank as he departs this committee for, for health reasons. Uh, just it, it seems like it's a smart fit. I mean, if, if you wanted somebody who knows something about football – uh, has a lot of integrity as Frank has had over the years is, is somebody who will be devoted to watching all the film and, and make all the, the conclusions that you have to draw to pick the, the final four teams. I don't see why Frank wouldn't be considered for that. I mean, you look at the, the coaching accomplishments of the guys on the list and uh, the coaches on the list. It's you know Tyrone Willingham and former Southern Miss coach, Bobby Johnson uh, from Vanderbilt. Uh, and some other guy, I think central Michigan coach, uh, former guy from there, you know, Frank, his accomplishments as a coach dwarf those guys. I mean, it's not even clear. I bet you you could add up all their wins together. It might not be more than what Frank has. So uh, just seems like it, it, it's a move that makes sense. And he sounds like he wanted to do it. And he's you know certainly got enough time in this time in his life to go do that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting. Two-year term, is that correct? Three years. Three-year term. Yeah, okay. he's 70, so he'll have it until he's 73. Uh, it's kind of an interesting situation. I mean, they they go for Mondays and Tuesdays. I think when they actually start doing it later in the season, uh, they meet as a group in Dallas. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, now Virginia Tech has a voice in the room." It's like, well, no, it doesn't, because when Virginia Tech or Georgia, in Frank's case, because Shane works there, when those schools are brought up, he has to recuse himself from that. He has to leave the conversation. So, uh, all these people saying that, "No, oh, it's great for Virginia Tech to have a voice there." It, it doesn't really work like that. You remember, I think it was November, uh, somebody tweeted a picture of the the room there as they were watching the game, and it was the most glum-looking group I've ever seen. Yeah, where was that? That was at a uh, – <laughs> we were at a game because I remember you tweeting it. It's like, ah, let's all partay here. Let's turn it up. I'm hoping Frank can bring a little levity to that well, I to hope that at the room. very least Frank can bring some milkshakes to the room. Well, they can all too. enjoy a fine cold treat when they're there. This milkshake thing has really taken off. I didn't even know. I mean, during his career, I had no idea that he was a big milkshake guy. Well, I think it's taken off in his post-career more than anything. I mean, it was really what it was. It was the, the vine from him at uh, uh, Castle Coliseum where he's just like staring up in his face in <laughs> this slow zoom on the camera. <laughs> And his granddaughter, unrelated to Frank and the milkshake, was crying next to him because apparently the Hokie Vision didn't put her sign on the Jumbotron. Uh, but she's in the frame as well, just adding to this image that's just like, what is going on here? This is just mesmerizing to see this. And then the second one was him at the the getting the pedicure, having a milkshake as well, the picture that went viral with that. So, you know, two milkshakes, that's good. That might, those might have been the only two milkshakes he's ever eaten, for all we know. <laughs> and this is now his new thing that he eats milkshakes. On. I think he does enjoy milkshakes. I mean, who doesn't? But it's funny that those two moments sort of made everything go off in that direction. It's like how our friend Nathan Waters likes to watch that show, Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> he probably watched it one time, and I just, every time I see him, I'm like, hey, you watched any Third Rock from the Sun lately? And he's like, I don't watch that show that much, man. 
It's like that with milk. You're actually referring to the Big Bang Theory, but you like to say Third Rock from the Sun because it irritates him so much. <laughs> Third Rock from the Sun is a much worse show, I think. Although I don't, I don't, I never really watched either of them. I think that. What do you think of uh, Big Bang Theory? I'm, I'm not a fan. No. It, I just don't get it. Yeah, no. Well, congratulations to, to Coach Beamer there. That is a, well, we're interested in seeing the sort of insight that Frank had, because we've heard all the Frankisms over the years, like, oh, those Alabama boys can flat go now, or, you know, ring-a-ding-ding, this team's get like, it'll be, it'd be interesting to be in the room and listen to some of the analysis that he would provide, because he always provides it sort of that, in a homespun way, and it just has a way of, of talking like that, so I think it'd be funny to hear that in a room of people, uh, you know, judging these football teams. Funny you should say that, because I'm noodling a column on, uh, along those lines. Uh, one of my favorite Frank quotes doesn't get used as much was the, they're talking about LSU and he was like, what, what do you see when you see uh, look at LSU on film? And he says, well, uh, you know, you see guys that are blurry. And he says, uh, I've seen a lot of guys that are blurs, but their blurs are blurrier than other blurs. That I is, can see that him. is a quintessential Frank quote right there. That's pretty good. <laughs> I can see him watching Clemson and saying that, you know, like, uh, well, the reason we should put them in is their blurs are that Clemson crowd, they'll get after you. As you can tell, this is still in the formative stages. If it comes out, it'll come out Sunday. So I'm thinking. I'm curious how that comes across in print because if you don't do the voice with it, I think it might lose some of the effect. <laughs> I've never worried about how that stuff comes across in print. <laughs> okay, let's talk about. Let's start with the guys who've left since we last talked. Um, the headliners, I guess, would be Seth Dooley, Shy McKenzie, and um, Mitchell Ludwig, the punter. Let's start with Seth Dooley. He's a local guy for our purposes. I mean, a Glenver graduate. Um, I've written about him. You've written about him. Uh, he seemed like an annual breakout candidate. You know, as every year it was like, is this the year for Seth Dooley? How come it never worked out for him, do you think? Well, for one thing, he had injuries throughout his career. I think he had shoulder problems for a lot of his career that he was battling. Uh, and for another, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, he was sort of a project guy when they got him. He gray-shirted, then he red-shirted, so it was sort of developmental early, earlier in his career. I mean, he always looked the part. I mean, he's six yeah. six five, two forty, whatever. I mean, he was just chiseled guy on the edge, but you have to play with a certain speed, I think, on the edge in this defense, and you know, maybe didn't quite have that burst that they were looking for on the edge. Uh, I think you look at his situation, he's just he's moving on from tech. I think he'll still try at the pro day and see if professionally there are any options out there. But, uh, you know, he's 24. He graduated last spring. Uh, he was a 2012 signee. Like I said, he gray-shirted, then red-shirted. So everybody in his signing class is now gone. He would have been the last one there. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, he might have had a chance to, to play next year. It's like, well... If you're doing that and all the guys that you've been around for your entire career are no longer there, it kind of feels weird to be the guy that's still hanging on like that. So right. uh, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a thing. I just had a quick Twitter back and forth with him uh, seeing what's going on. But uh, I would think that factors in. And and the fact that, you know, I think Vinny Mahota and, and Trayvon Hill were probably going to be the starters next year at defensive end. Uh, it, it probably would have taken an act of him jumping one of those two guys. I, I don't know if that would have happened. And if you're coming back for another year like that, uh, this late in your career, and you're you're probably going to be a primary backup. Uh, you know, it's that's maybe unappealing to some guys. Well, I for one wanted to see if he could, you know, if this could be the year. I mean, I thought that would have been a great story if he stuck it out and, and it worked out for him. But understand too, I, everything that you're saying makes sense. Uh, you know, he told me that he was, you know, he was a basketball guy as a kid. And he didn't, not until he got to high school at Glenver 
and Kevin Clifford, uh, the coach there, said, hey, have you ever played football? He's like, no. And he's like, get in a stance. And he gets in a stance. He's like, I can turn you into something. He's like, right. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you don't have to be uh, – you know, the, an NFL GM to know that guy had potential on the on the uh, football field, but I don't I don't know how strong his love for the game was. I mean, you know, if you if you didn't grow up playing it, maybe it's not it doesn't have the hold on you. It's maybe it's not so hard to say goodbye as it would be to somebody who's been playing since they were you know six. Possibly, yeah. I, I'm not sure about that. I just, you know, the move makes sense to me. I think a lot of people were surprised by it, but I just think if if you're the last guy from that signing class and you're five years removed from, from high school, I think at a certain point the clock is ticking and you're like, you know, I kind of want to move on with life here. Yeah. Of course, you know, my perspective as a guy who covers minor league sports, I mean, I see that all the time. Guys that uh, are there longer than probably 28, 29-year-olds yeah, hanging on. And, and you wonder why they do it. And for some people it's uh, it's just a labor of love, you know. So, all right. And the other – well, another one who left is uh, Shy McKenzie. That we knew that domino was going to fall at some point. Um, his exit, I guess, was about as classy as he could have been, right? I mean, he's, well, I mean, classy relative to what it was, the direction it was going during the season, where he kind of had some Twitter back and forth with you know, a couple of reporters when when Fuente would say something about his status, and then he'd have a comment replying that kind of refuted that or. Uh, sort of a smart aleck re- reply to to stuff about oh I'm just trying to get scout team player of the week or something like that after he had been moved down on the depth chart. I think a lot of people thought that could be an ugly divorce when they went out, but you know Shy had a very classy you know message on the thing. He thanked both the coaching staffs, you know, Fuentes and Beamers, uh, Fuente for helping him grow this year, uh, you know Beamer for giving him a second chance when he had the arrest previously and. Some schools wouldn't have stuck with him in that situation. So I, I think uh, for where this was sort of careening during the end of the regular season, the fact that it, they pulled out of it to you know both sides kind of save face as they're leaving here and can hold their head up at least in a, a classy departure, that's probably the best for both sides in this whole thing. I don't I don't know where he's going to end up. Uh, he'll graduate this spring or summer, I think. So he'll have immediate eligibility somewhere if he wants to go to another Division One school. Uh, have two years left to play. He'd be an interesting case. I mean, he had the, the, the ACL injuries earlier in his career. It sounds like the one he had in high school didn't really get fully fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he injured it again the next year, five games into his Virginia Tech career. Never really bounced back from that. Uh, so I think you'll look back at his career as sort of a big what if. Because I thought he was a pretty, pretty talented back uh, before he got hurt, and we didn't really see a lot of him after that. So I'm curious to see... Uh, how he does wherever he ends up, because I think he still has the potential to be a pretty productive guy. Yeah, such a such a brutal position, you know. I mean, it's oh, that, I mean, that, the running backs are the primary argument of why the you need to stay in college three years rule I think needs to be revised or challenged or something like that because these guys just take a pounding. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and it's not like they just start that in college, like. These guys take a pounding in high. I know it's not the same, you know, physical toll because guys aren't as big. But you know, you, you get 300 carries in a season in high school. You're st- still going to take a physical toll on you. Right. I mean, there's only so many, you know, uh, you know tre- treads on the tires or however you want to say that for uh, running backs before they just sort of wear out. That's why you don't see a lot of 32 year old running backs thriving in the NFLs because you just sort of run out of steam at a certain point and can only take so many hits. So. Uh, you know, it's it's a glamour position, or at least it has been, because the ball's in your hands, and people always like that. But 
uh, man, if I was a running back and, and I was come, kind of coming up and had a choice to play like receiver or running back, I'd, I'd probably go and choose receiver just because you're not going to get hit as many times as, as violently as they do all the time. Yeah, I would be a punter myself. And speaking of punters, Mitchell Ludwig. Uh, that, that was an excellent transition. You, well, I probably would be a punter, although with my knee in the shape it's in, I don't think I'd be very good. I'd be a punter except for the fact that I can't kick the ball very well. <laughs> but how big of a loss is Mitchell? Well, I think he got better as the season went on. But you you look at the overall stats. I think Virginia Tech was still you know third from the bottom in the ACC in net punting. So uh, I think where he really thrived last year was on the 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 short field punts whenever they were around the fifty or something like that. I think he really had a good ability to pin them deep, and he got better later in the season with some consistency in the long punts. But uh, overall, the, the numbers weren't exactly eye-popping for the position. Uh, so I, I don't think it's the biggest loss, especially they've got this uh, Australian kid coming in that I think they they like. I mean, they like him obviously enough to give him a scholarship uh, coming in, uh, having never played actual football before. Hmm. I mean, he has in camps and stuff like that, but he's an Australian rules football guy. So uh, that'll be interesting to see how that progression comes along. But, uh, you know, I think... Ludwig did okay filling the spot this year, but I don't think it's the, it's the biggest loss. I mean, he'll always have that you know basketball jump shot pass, uh, fake punt that they completed in the uh, the ACC title game, which you know in my opinion was the best play of the year that Virginia Tech had. So yeah. that's something to hang your hat on. I think I can say with no equivocation that every Australian I've ever met is awesome. Every single one. Every I, single I one. I love Australians. They're the best. I, I'll be honest. How, how many have you met? Uh, quite a few. Quite a few. Basketball. Uh, there's a, been a couple come through Salem. Baseball. Uh, there's been, uh, you know, every now and then you run into one uh, somewhere out somewhere, and they give themselves away immediately with their mates and their their. That's not a knives and all that. There it's was, a boomerang. It's the boomerang that they carry around that you're like that. That guy's Australian right there. Yeah, yeah. I know the one that pitched at uh, Salem. He uh, he really liked Outback Steakhouse. I asked him about that. He's like, oh, yeah, great. It's great, mate. It's not really Australian, but it's delicious. I love it. He didn't like it for its authenticity. He just liked it because no, it was good food. Like, yeah, th- th- that's my kind of guy. You know, you don't judge it just because it's <laughs> – I don't know. That's a chain. I don't know if I, I could eat there. <laughs> yeah, I think we could. All right. So he, the Australian – what is the – do we know the Australian guy's name? Uh, Oscar Bradburn. Okay. All right. Oscar Bradburn's in the fold now. Who else is in the fold? Well, do you want to talk about the other three three other departures here okay. real quick? Uh, Chris Durkin uh, came in as a quarterback, kind of an unpolished quarterback. He was more of just sort of a, a bulldozer in high school. He just uh, really kind of ran over guys more than he passed the ball or anything. Hard-working Chris Durkin. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he switched to tight end last year. He kind of battled some injuries, didn't really get on the field much. He is not a part of the spring roster. I'm still looking for some clarification for a reason. I don't know if he's hurt or if he's transferring or what exactly the deal is. Uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, who should be nicknamed The Rock if he's not, his teammates have let him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a sophomore cornerback who didn't get on the field in the two years that he was here, so he's transferring. Uh, Steve Sobjack, defensive tackle, is kind of a kind of a bigger one. Uh, he's a big guy to begin with, the 300-pounder, but uh, he's not here in the spring. It sounds like that might not be permanent. I don't know, kind of a, a cloudy future with what uh, is in store for him, but uh, I think Ricky Walker, Tim Settler, the two starters at that position, Sobchak was probably going to be the primary backup on this team. So all of a sudden you're looking at Darius Fullwood, who moved over from defensive end, Jared Hewitt, 
will be a redshirt freshman that's in there. Uh, possibly other guys that uh, can play spots on the line. Uh, all of a sudden, that defensive tackle that was so deep this year is a lot less deep. It's a lot thinner coming into this season. So I, I think that'll be one to keep an eye on because I don't know if he's gone for for good or if Sobchak could come back at some point. But uh, that's another scholarship guy that won't be here in the spring, though. That seems like a lot of comings and goings, but maybe it's not. Is that pretty? Is that par? I mean, well, I mean, you think about last year. You know, Austin Clark. Stopped playing football. Trey Edmonds uh, transferred in January. I think there was some other attrition there. You know, Calvin Klein transferred. Uh, some other guys just chose to to finish their eligibility up. You know, Desmond Fry was somebody who, who just I think he transferred to Akron or Toledo, something like this, some Midwest uh, Mac school, I believe. Uh, so I, I think this is just sort of par for the course. Is some of these guys. Yeah, look at their situation and they go, Hey, I kind of want to play football or I want to get on the field or, you know, if I'm not playing that much, do I really want to go through the, the grueling practices and everything that goes along with it? And it gets to a point where th- these guys have to make a decision. Cause it's not like you can play division one football, you know, sort of with half of your mind there. I mean, you have to be all the way there to commit to this sort of thing. So it's a major commitment. And, uh, if you're kind of on the fence about playing time or on the fence about the situation you're in, it, it makes sense for some of these guys to go a different direction. Well, I think when Calvin Klein left, he kind of just looked around and decided it was kind of the fashionable thing to do. That's that's terrible. I was going to answer seriously, and then it hit me what you were doing, and I, I go, that was... I figured, what other opportunity am I going to get for another? No, that was pretty one, good. One that last, was pretty good. I'll give you that. Calvin Klein I'll give you that because you didn't, like... Like raise your eyebrows and go. <laughs> it wasn't the and lean in and go fashionable thing to do. You just said it straight. So I, it almost got me for a second. Then before I was about to talk, I'm like, okay, that was a good one. Okay, well, thank you. All right, moving on. That this is the sort of the last two week period before signing day. We'll have some activity here. Uh, briefly s- summarize what uh, what Hokie fans should be looking for. Right? Well, we we talk about the the guys that they actually did sign the other day. I mean, they brought in nine guys. Oh, uh, yeah, we didn't talk uh, – other than the Australian guy. Well, we the Australian guy, like I said, is interesting because there have been a history of, of these Australian kickers that go to this – I forget the exact name of the camp down there, but they have been sending guys to Division One schools. Uh, Tom Hornsey, I don't know if he was in that same camp, but he was an Australian who kicked for Fuente and, and special teams coordinator James Shebest when he was at Memphis, and he won the Ray Guy Award in 2013. Hmm. In fact, I think the last three or four – Kicker punters who have won the Ray Guy Award have all been Australian guys, or at least have been in the, in the running for it. I, I'd have to look that up. Uh, but I mean, it's like the the country that produces kickers. I mean, Australian rules football is essentially punting in a lot of situations. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense that those guys would be able to sort of uh, transfer their games over to a different sport. This, you know, it's not entirely a different sport, but obviously the rules are different and the setup and everything like that. So I, I'm interested in seeing that. I mean, I watched his his huddle video online and he seems to, to boot the ball pretty well. He's a lefty. Uh, you know, they had him in regular formations, taking a snap and, and punting it off. And he seemed like he was good. Uh, assuming that, you know, Fuente and Shebest have done their homework here. And I assume they have, because they've had an Australian punter before they've gone this route before. Uh, he seems like he might be able to step in and, and challenge for that job. If not win it right away. Who's going to teach him how to use the bidet. I don't know. Didn't uh, crocodile daddy drink out of it. Is, I, is that what that was? Yeah, and then she was like, "You gotta have, you're just gonna have to figure it out." And then he yells out the window that he figured it out. I can't remember many details from that. I will say that the Simpsons Australia episode is a top ten episode. 
in oh, my opinion. Yeah, I need to go back and watch that one again. When the prime minister ha- tries to boot Bart <laughs> through right. the, uh, the the embassy walls. That's right. The Coriolis effect, I don't know how that affects a punter if he has to get a different spin on it around the goal line to bring it back or whatever the case is. So who else is coming besides besides the Aussie? Well, the big additions, I think, up top are the quarterbacks. Uh, One from the junior college ranks, uh, one from the high school ranks of the scholarship guys. They also got a walk-on that came in. Uh, A.J. Bush is the lefty and went to Iowa Western this year. Uh, Had been at Nebraska the two years prior to that. more of a project, definitely, than what Gerard Evans was coming from uh, junior college. His stats last year at Iowa Western really aren't impressive if you look at them. I think he had three touchdowns and eight interceptions. So he's, he's nowhere near the kind of productive player that uh, Evans was coming out of junior college. But he's another guy uh, in the competition that you know pushed Josh Jackson and pushed the other guy that's here early, Hendon Hooker, from high school uh, in Greensboro, who had, had – I think a record setting year down there. I mean, you look at these numbers that they put up. Uh, let me find the exact numbers on hooker here. Let's see. 29, 75 yards and 48 touchdowns rushing in his career, 6,027 yards and 55 touchdowns passing in his career. I think that was two years as a starter. Uh, so these are some pretty impressive numbers that these guys have had. And I, I know all these recruits coming in have impressive numbers, but up and down the list of these guys that they had to enroll early, uh, they've been like that. So you got A.J. Bush, you've got Hendon Hooker uh, joining the competition uh, with Josh Jackson. Uh, you also have Ryan Willis, who transferred in from Kansas. Uh, he came in as a walk-on. Uh, so it's sort of a, a no-lose situation for Virginia Tech. He has to sit out competition for a year. He can practice this spring, but he won't be eligible to play in any games until 2018. But uh, I think adding all these guys is what they needed because you lose Evans, you lose Motley, all of a sudden you have one scholarship quarterback in the room. Uh, in the spring, uh, now they have four. Uh, you also have Jack Click, uh, who who was in the competition last year as a walk-on. Uh, Chase Mumau, I, I don't know if he'll be in the competition or if he's just sort of a scout team type guy. Uh, but you go from having one or two guys, scholarship guys, to all of a sudden having four. That's a serious competition and battle there. And, and I think the big thing is you want to foster that competition and have guys push each other. So now that you have all that, I, I think it's a, a lot more interesting in the spring other than just having two guys that are going back and forth that are, you know, a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. Yeah. And this is the first group that's, I mean, other than Gerard Evans, who, who's been handpicked by a quarterback guru in, in Justin Fuente. So it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to follow that process in the spring. I don't know how much I'm going to get out to the spring practices themselves. Well, I don't think a lot of the spring practices are open. So yeah, yeah. We didn't see a lot last year. I don't know if that will change in year two. I'm guessing with the quarterback situation, it will not. Right. Uh, just because they'll try to protect those guys as they go through the competition for the first time. But uh, it'll be interesting. It'll at least be something to write about. Whenever there's a quarterback uncertainty, you always have something to write about in a pinch. You no be like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely out of ideas. Let me just write about the quarterbacks today. No doubt. No doubt. Well, and then of course – Speaking of comings and goings, I mean, there will be a signing day is uh, February 1st, right? So Wednesday. That's yep. the same day that Tech, Two weeks Tech and UVA play um, uh, basketball in Charlottesville. What uh, what should Hokie fans be looking for there? Well, they have 13 more commitments. I mean, just to finish off some of these early guys that came, it, it was a real offensive-minded group. Uh, they had a couple receivers, Caleb Farley, Khalil Pimpleton, they're both kind of on the opposite end spectrum of receivers. I think Farley's 6'3", Pimpleton is 5'10", and mm-hmm. that might be generously listed. I think he's shorter than that. 
maybe five seven, something like that. But he's sort of a, a slot guy, he's kind of a shifty jitterbug type guy in the slot. I think that can can come in and do some stuff. Uh, Dalton Keene's a tight end. Uh, I think it's interesting. They lose a quarterback, uh, a receiver, and a tight end. However you want to classify it, uh, Bucky uh, going to the pros early. And their early enrollees, they have two quarterbacks, two receivers, a tight end, uh, you know, possible running back, and Terrius Wheatley, a guy from Fork Union. Uh, Silas Dancy is a, an offensive tackle who was a sign-and-place guy with Fork Union, ended up coming in here. And it, it looks like he's a lot more well-regarded coming out of Fork Union than he was out of high school. So, uh, you know, that's what they need on this offense is a lot of guys to get in here and get some experience early. And I'm not saying these guys are going to play right away, but the fact that they have – six offensive guys arriving early in this class to go through a spring practice. Uh, that's probably a pretty big deal. Uh, looking beyond that, you know, they have 13 other guys in the class looking to add more. I mean, obviously there's some major targets out there. Uh, Devin Hunter is deciding on Friday or making his announcement on Friday. He might've already decided for all I know, uh, just visited Florida last weekend. Uh, I think Virginia tech has a very good shot in them still. He's a, a safety from Indian river high, uh, number two or one recruit in the state, depending on which service you're looking at. He would be a huge addition to this defense. Uh, Taiwan Garbutt is a defensive end who was committed to them earlier, opened up his commitment in the summer, I think it was, and he's taken some visits to Pitt. Uh, looking at, it, it's coming down between Pitt and Virginia Tech, I think, with him. Uh, and they have some other targets out there. I mean, it, with the departures that they had from you know the, the attrition they had in the offseason, I, I think it gives them – Probably they could probably take a full class and then some because you can back count some of these scholarships to the previous class. So you're talking about 25, 26, 27 guys they could potentially sign in this class and still not be over the 85 scholarship limit. So I would imagine that Fuente uses the you know full range of what's available to him in terms of scholarships, and this is first full class to sort of replenish the ranks. How do you follow signing day? Uh, on Twitter, (laughs) you pre-write all the bios so you're ready for all the guys. Uh, and as they come in, I'll update a post. Uh, and really you're just waiting for the school to be like, this guy has officially sent in. I mean, that's, that's all signing day is, is waiting for the official letters of intent to come in. Uh, Still faxed, right? Well, I think you can fax it. I think now there are things that you can scan it and send it in. I would hope for these kids' sake, that they're doing it that way because yeah. it's this ridiculous, you know, just anachronism of a technology, the the fax machine that I can't, I wouldn't even know how to run a fax machine anymore. I remember whenever I tried to send something, it's like, do you dial nine first <laughs> and then it's the paper up or down and you never get confirmation. It makes that stupid ringing sound like mm-hmm. it's the internet in 1995 or whatever. It's just, I would hope that these guys just take out their phones, take a picture of it, and send it into Virginia Tech, and they get it over their cell phone and go, we got it. It's yeah. good to go. Yeah. Kind of like what we do with our <laughs> expense reports. You scan it on your little app. Yeah. You know? What an age we live in that you can do that with this stuff. Hell yeah. It, it is – I always find it interesting on signing day because people go nuts for signing day. I mean it's like you know, recruiting Christmas for them. Yeah. And I always like to write the story a couple days before about looking back at the signing class from five years ago. Because people say the same thing about signing day every single year. It's like, oh, this is the class that puts them over the top. A lot of early contributors in this. And you go back five years and you see the same things were written about these guys. And the third probably contributed. The third didn't really do much. The third left before they even got to two years. Um, I thought it was funny. I think somebody posted the 2013 
signing class recap because some of these, you know, Sean McKenzie left. I think he was a 2013 uh, class, or maybe he was 2014. But whatever it was, uh, it, it goes through all the guys on, and some were hits, some were misses, and nowhere in that group was Sam Rogers mentioned. Yeah, because he was a walk-on fullback. You don't really mention the walk-ons when you're doing these stories about signing day because it's all scholarship guys. And you look back at their careers and you go. Sam Rogers probably contributed more to this football program than anybody in this story. And nobody wrote about him at the time and nobody saw him coming. So uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, you can, you can project as much as you want. These guys can show a certain physical skill set at age 17 or 18 when they get here, but you have no idea how they're going to progress and if they're going to turn into some superstar or bust or if a walk-on is going to come out of nowhere and be one of your most valuable players. Uh, I think that's sort of the interesting thing about recruiting and signing day that a lot of people don't take into account. They just assume, you know, four-star guys, five-star guys are going to pan out. Two-star guys are an afterthought. I don't even think of them. And then they just focus on all the, all the high-profile names in the class. Yeah, I think you're similar to me in that you don't really like recruiting that much. I don't. I, I, I really don't. But I get it. I mean, I get why people do like it. I mean, I like minor league baseball prospects. You know, like I, I, you feel like you know something that other people don't. Because and it's always it's, it's the very, idea of like a lottery ticket. Yeah. Like this guy could hit it big, and I saw him coming before anybody else saw him coming. I think right. there's sort of a an allure to that if if you can be sort of in the know or ahead of the curve with that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, you this week you actually uh, rounded up some thoughts from national outlets uh, about what the Hokies will look like next year or what they think, the, how the, they think the Hokies will do. What what did you find when you did that exercise? I saw sort of a wide range of thoughts on where the Hokies are going to be. I, I think the USA Today, everybody does their way too early top 25, and some of them even did it before the title game, which is really bordering on way too early. It's like, could we at least let the season pan out before you do your way too early? Uh, I'm going to come out with a way too early 2018 rankings. Just skip a year altogether and see if I can beat everybody to the punch. Um, I th- there was a wide range of stuff. USA Today had the Hokies at number 13 next year. And this was with full knowledge that Evans was gone and, and Ford and Bucky. Uh, I thought that was a bit generous, uh, to say the least. I, I say if they're in the top 25 anywhere, it's probably 20 to 25 I'd be even hesitant to put them up that high just because of all the offensive pieces they lost on that team. Uh, but I, I think I saw them ranked in a lot of these, you know, way too early top 25s and in the 20 to 25 range. Mm-hmm. Or if they weren't there, they were in sort of in the next cut that just missed the cut type thing, uh, which will be interesting because, you know, Virginia Tech has succeeded for a while by having a really good defense, which they probably should have next year with Bud Foster and the guys they have coming back. And, you know, just enough offense. I would imagine Fuente can put out more than just enough offense, even with the inexperience that he has with that group, just because, you know, he's an offensive-minded guy and he's got ways to to move the ball, even if it's not a more traditional way that they've done it in the past. So uh, I'd say I'm maybe more bullish on the season than I was immediately in the aftermath when they lost all the production from those guys leaving early. But uh, you know, 13th in the country, I think is just way too generous uh, for what this team could be. I mean, maybe they could get there by the end of the year, but looking on paper, uh, I think that's a tough thing to sell. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I think fringe fringe top 25 to start with and go from there. I think that that's where I would probably rank them. Well, it's interesting. The Coastal, I mean, everybody lost something in the Coastal. I mean, Miami loses Brad Kaya, uh, David Nyoku, I'm not sure you pronounce the tight end's name. Joe Yerby, those are three pretty big offensive pieces. 
Pitt loses offensive coordinator, quarterback, James Conner at running back, some offensive linemen. Uh, North Carolina loses Trubisky. It's top three running backs and it's top three wide receivers. I mean, the top teams in this this half of the league all lost something. Even Georgia Tech loses Justin Thomas, who's been there for 12 years by my estimation. It seems like it's really tough to pick a winner out of that group. And I, I see some consensus for Miami being the top pick because it returns its front seven. Uh, you know, if you're going to use that rationale, Virginia Tech of Justice B be just as solid of a team. I mean, it returns everybody in its back seven uh, on, on defense, essentially just losing Chuck Clark. Uh, so it, it's really tough. I just don't see a clear cut front runner in the coastal. I'll be curious once we get to the uh, ACC kickoff in July, how people will vote. Cause uh, honestly, right now I'd probably pick like a five way tie for first place. Cause it's really tough to differentiate the teams. Yeah. Yeah. That, that will be a very interesting um, ACC football kickoff in July this year, I think, um, for a lot of reasons. But okay, but, but before that, we have spring ball, uh, and we know the dates now. What are the dates, and when is the spring game? Uh, April twenty second, spring game. That's at Lane Stadium. That's free to enter, and it has been in the past at least. Sounds like they're starting around March twenty first. I think that's probably contingent on the weather. Uh, whether they get a good day or not uh, to go out there. Uh, so you're talking about a month of spring ball, which will be a nice, you know, at that point I'll be just like stretching for story ideas. Like get me to the spring where I can actually write something about these, uh, you know, write something tangible about the, the results on the field. So that'll be nice. What do you do between now and then? Recruiting. You'd be yeah. amazed how much you can stretch out some yeah. of the recruiting stuff. You know, I'll do position by position, lead into the spring, uh, and try some other stories in the off season. You know, it's kind of tough to get stuff set up in the off season sometimes, but uh, I'll try to do some unique things. I don't know. I'm still working on it right now, though. Well, not trying to flatter you, but you've done, I think, above and beyond what most people expected when you got hired here for for you know all all year round. And uh, so he ain't no Kyle Tucker. I'll say that much. <sighs> Okay, well, how much has I have I gotten that over the years? I'm sure you have many, many times. I'm sure, you've heard it. Yep. Um, Antonio Brown. I wanted to touch on this because I watched the full 25 minutes of that Facebook Live video. The Steelers. That's insane. I watched like two minutes of it. I'm like, okay, I get the gist. I get what happened. I'm moving well, on. You missed from this. him saying God is great about 700 more times. Uh, that's all you missed. He said it like, and he fixed his hair. He has that little Gumby haircut, the Lego head or whatever, and. Uh, it was it was fascinating. Um, I'm curious what <laughs> what what Justin Fuente would do if let's just say for comparative sake Isaiah Ford had done this. You know your your star receiver, somebody you can't afford to suspend, <laughs> and it's right before a big game, and 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 Justin gives his uh you know his Tomlin esque. <laughs> pep talk that's not supposed to be on hokey vision or whatever and and all of a sudden it's on facebook live what do you think would happen in that circumstance it's tough to compare because the the power balance between college and the pros is so different it's like mike tomlin can sort of come down hard on antonio brown but not really because in the grand scheme of things antonio brown is probably more valuable to that franchise than, than mike tomlin is yeah. uh certainly with the way that they pay him it's like oh well He's paid, paid much more than our head coach is here. So he's probably got a lot more standing in that locker room and on that team than, than maybe even the head coach does. 
that's certainly not the case in college where the power balance is completely in favor of the coach and the players, you know, just have to do whatever they say basically with really no recourse. Um, it's a tough thing to even envision because I couldn't imagine Isaiah Ford ever in a million years doing something like that. No, no. no. Uh, but I would have to say that they would have to just suspend. I mean, I, if somebody did that in a Virginia Tech locker room and it became sort of this controversy that it did, I feel like they would suspend them for at least a game just based on the disrespect factor alone. What do you think is the worst part of that? Is, is it the Tomlin quotes? Is including the Tomlin quotes, you think? No, I don't. Like, what did New England think he was saying about him? Right. Like, was he in there? New England is a bunch of great competitors that we respect wholly on the field, and we're looking forward to battling them next week in a good-natured rivalry. Like, come on now. Like, you know what these guys are saying in there. You've, you've heard a million different worst things on the football field, I would imagine. I, would, I, mean, I think Tomlin kind of mixes it up every now and then with his trash talk on the field. I would imagine that some of the players have heard it straight from Tomlin yeah. on the field. Uh, I, I think the real thing that... You know, I think part of Tomlin's message was, you know, we're going to go up there and beat their butts and whatever, and they don't even know it's coming. We're going to sneak up on them or something like that. It's like, well, you gave up the element of surprise, and certainly the last thing you want to ever do is give Bill Belichick and his team any kind of bulletin board material. I mean, people turn that into a motivating thing all throughout the week. I don't know how much more you need motivation for an AFC championship game, but uh, just the fact that you, you don't want to give New England anything else possibly to motivate it or any other reason to be more motivated than they are for this game. Uh, and, you know, the Steelers just put it out there on a silver platter. Yeah. I think the, 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 it was the height of irony when he's like, we're not going to put anything online. We're not gonna- <laughs> as this is happening live. As this is happening live on Facebook. <laughs> All right, well. We like to end our shows with with predictions, so let's, we don't have any games to predict in college, of course. But uh, who do you like? Who do you like to make the Super Bowl? I'll take the two best quarterbacks in these games. We're gonna go with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing to me that since they've been the quarterbacks, there hasn't been a Patriots Packers Super Bowl. I mean, they met when you know Drew Bledsoe, Brett Favre back in ninety six, ninety six or ninety seven, one of those years. Uh, I, I just think that I think the Patriots are just the best team in the AFC. I think Steelers have some flaws defensively that they're going to be able to exploit in that game. And I think nobody's playing better football right now than Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and it pains me to say that. I, I've, I'm a Vikings fan. I'm from Minnesota, so I, I really dislike the Packers. Uh, I was in Madison, Wisconsin, get, had gotten back to school when the Vikings lost the Falcons in the 98 NFC Championship game. Uh, I think it was actually 99 was the season, the year, but it was the 98 season. And all these Packers fans came down the hallway to like rub it in my face after Gary Anderson missed the kick and they lost the game. So I really, really dislike the Packers, but I just have this begrudging respect for Aaron Rodgers and how good, like I, I drafted them on my fantasy team this year. I'm like, he's just too good. Like he's just too good. And it angers me that the Packers have basically had two decades plus of Hall of Fame quarterback play from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and like nothing else. Whereas the Vikings have had this drack of quarterbacks and it's like a rotating system every year and they're trading first round picks for Sam Bradford and doing all this stupid stuff. And the Packers are like, this isn't complicated, guys. Just draft your Hall of Fame quarterback and have him be here for 15 years. Uh, you know, I, I kind of take my hat off to them. They, they've done it great. I don't think they're a great team. I don't think Mike McCarthy is a very good coach. 
<laughs> I think they're very limited uh, with how good their receivers are, and they're, they're not that good defensively. But I think Aaron Rodgers is so good that he makes up for all those deficiencies, and it's just sort of a an amazing thing to watch. Yeah, if I can get Aaron Rodgers in four and a half points, I'd be you know pretty happy. Plus, it's not like Atlanta has this storied history of coming through in the clutch in football. Uh, yeah, they have a that '98 season notwithstanding. Sort of parallels your Vikings a little bit, doesn't it? A little bit, except yeah. they they got to that Super yeah. Bowl in yeah. my lifetime, which is disappointing. Do you like Matt? My, do you like Matt Ryan? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Always, I actually I remember uh, when Nate Crossman was on the Virginia Tech beat in Lynchburg. I had I went down to Jacksonville when Boston College played Virginia Tech in that ACC championship game, and I remembered being impressed by just kind of the way Matt Ryan carried himself then. You know, he was in a suit and everything in the post game, and I think I can't remember the player it was, but like he sought him out afterwards in the hallway of of the stadium, and like you know, a good game and congratulations, good luck at the next level and all the stuff, and it just kind of stuck with me. Yeah, well, I'll never forget that game that he threw the late touchdown pass to beat Tech. That was probably one of the. I mean, Boston College was ranked in the top five, and Tech I think might have been ranked in the top five. Yeah, I think they were both top ten teams. Yeah, that year. and it was. I mean, honestly, that might and it probably cost Tech a chance. To be in the national championship game, if you look, I mean, it, it, I think that was the year LSU went right. Yeah. So I guess you were always going to have to overcome that hurdle of LSU beat them by forty or whatever it was early in the season. But uh, certainly would have had a better argument if you don't lose that game and have another marquee win on your schedule. Yeah, you'll never hear a stadium more quiet than than that that one. I mean, it, it was raining. I mean, I felt so bad for those fans because it was raining and what a miserable way to go. Wasn't out that case the where they had shut them out the whole game? They scored yeah. late and got an onside kick and then did it. We're really ending this on an upper for all these Hokies fans out here. Bringing I, up one of the most painful losses. Well, I remember Bud Foster history. got really mad at all the writers who called it a. a a prevent defense. We said, why did you go to the prevent defense? And then he described what it was. It was called the devil defense, which when he described it, he basically described a prevent defense. He was like, it's designed to prevent the long plays. And it's like, you're calling it devil, but it's still, it's still a prevent. That's an it? interesting, that Falcons uh, Packers game is interesting. Cause those are two losses that, you know, Virginia tech fans can point out to those quarterbacks. The Matt Ryan loss, obviously they, they avenged that and came back and, you know, beat him in AFC or, uh, ACC title games, but you know the Aaron Rodgers Insight Bowl, I believe it was, where they it was like fifty-two forty-nine or yeah, something like that. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of people credit that moment. Uh, not sure. I'd have to go back, and you know, this might actually be an interesting story if the Packers uh, go to the Super Bowl to ask Bud about that. But I think a lot of people point to that game as the moment where Bud kind of went to the four-two-five as the base defense overall because he he saw that passing was becoming such a big part of the game and. You have to be able to match athletes with athletes on the field because I think Rodgers just tore him up in that game. That would be a good story. Well, well, now another reason for the Packers to get the Super Bowl so I could write that story and have it be timely. Well, good. Well, I hope everyone enjoys the games on Sunday if they get to watch them. You're going to a women's basketball game, right? Women's basketball. It'll be the first time cover the team this year, so that'll be interesting. They've been a really good year. Yeah, but they do. I've never met Kenny Brooks, but he's doing a great job. Oh, he's, he's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a cool dude. And you said you wouldn't cover them at all unless they were still running the rack. Uh, no, I, they, I think joke. they were 15 and 0 at the point where you were assigned this game. You said it, unless they were. Well, I think they lost that going. night. Was it Miami? Yeah, at Miami. Yeah. At Miami. So Miami's good though. They're ranked. So. Well, every now and then we like to give the non-revenue sports uh, a break from Mark Berman on the beat. Feel like they earn it every now and then. I think, so I think they're thankful for that. All right. Well, we will not be together next week, but we'll try to get together after. Well, signing. the week after that is signing day on that Wednesday, so it might be. 
Maybe end of the week? Two or three weeks. Yeah, maybe we'll do something post-signing day. Okay. I don't know. We'll, we'll do something coming up. We'll try not to go three weeks without a podcast. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, enjoy the hiatus from us, and uh, we'll catch you next time. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. Thanks for joining us.